right. Good morning. We are in Exodus. The book of Exodus, chapter 6, this morning. Exodus, chapter 6. We'll be hopefully finishing that up today. Let's see here. All right. Exodus chapter 6. Well, let's start with a word of prayer and cover this. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we're so grateful, Lord, for this written word, uh, Lord, that you have uh, given us, Lord, and then you, by your own mighty hand, have sustained down through the ages. Uh, Lord, though the enemy has sought to destroy this word so many times, uh, along with your people, Father, you have sustained them, and you've sustained it by your mighty hand, Lord. Um, Lord, we're so grateful for the understanding we have of its importance. Uh, Lord, its preeminence in our lives, Lord, and how we conduct ourselves as believers in you through Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would equip us through it this morning, that you would train us, that you would teach us, that you would encourage us, Lord. Lord, we don't want to be like the person who looks at their reflection in the mirror and then goes away forgetting what they look like, Lord. We don't want to be ruled by our emotions. We don't want to be... um, followers and lovers of Jesus on Sundays, Lord, and then followers and lovers of the world and ourselves on Mondays. Uh, Lord, we want to sustain this faith. We want to keep it. We want to walk in it, Lord. Uh, We need your help. We need your Holy Spirit. We need your guidance, Father. We pray that you would give us hearts of surrender, Lord, and worship and humility towards you, Father, to allow you to have your perfect way in us and to not see the circumstances and the situations, Lord, but rather to always be searching Uh, Lord, searching and seeking for your hand in in everything that happens and befalls us, Lord, in this life. Uh, Lord, and how you are seeking to guide us to to build us up in our faith and also to use us, Lord, in the lives of other people. Uh, Lord, as we know, is the greatest calling that we have, Lord. We ask, Father, that you would accomplish your will in each of us individually today, Lord. Every single person here needs to hear something from you specifically, something very personal and intimate from you, Lord. And I pray that you would Deliver that to them today, Father, that you would give them a portion of daily bread by your word, Lord, from your mouth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Uh, So uh, Exodus chapter 6, of course, uh, before we get into the the, uh, really exciting parts of the Exodus, of course, you know, when you think of the Exodus, you think of uh, the plagues. You think of God coming down uh, and delivering blow after blow after mighty blow to the nation of Egypt until finally uh, they succumbed to his sovereign will. Uh, Of course, Pharaoh and Egypt itself being an example for us of the world, of the world system. There is no acknowledgement of God. I mean, that, that words, the words that he says to Moses are very telling to us as believers. Who is God? Who is God? Who is Jehovah? That I should follow him. I don't know who he is, and I won't do what he commands. Uh, that's the spirit of this world, right? And we need to understand that uh, if we're going to be victorious and if we're going to be effective for the kingdom of God, we need to understand we are in a war. We are in a war. Um, and this world will give you no quarter. This world will give you no quarter. It will pretend to, right? It will pretend to. It will offer you safe haven. We're, we'll offer you, say, we're going to take care of you. We take care, we're going to take care of you, you know. Um, Rich Hayward, who was a, a angry, vicious, vicious man to work for. I don't, I've worked for you, you haven't worked for him, Rich Hayward. 
He used to say, he used to, say to me, uh, and this is probably politically incorrect, but he said it, okay? I didn't say it. He used to say, he used to say this to me. I'm going to treat you like a king, Rodney King. <laughs> That's me, isn't that mean-spirited? Um, and he, in fact, did. <laughs> Um, but that's, that's how the world is. That's how the world is. You know, any time that we find ourselves seeking to find solemn uh, uh, or asylum, or uh, not solemn, asylum or solace from this world, we're going to be maybe deceived for a short time, but we're going to end up finding out that the world offers neither. Um, you know, talking to, to, to young people, in particular, young men who are in the church and in the faith from time to time, uh, you know, and are going through all of the ups and downs of relationships and trying to find a, uh, a wife, and, or, or they're just in the world dabbling, and, and of course, experiencing the heartache that goes along with all of that nonsense. And I always would say to them, you're an Israelite. You're an Israelite. You will never, ever, ever find what God has for you amongst the Philistines. And if you seek, read it in the book, if you seek and chase after Philistine girls, you're going to have the same results that Samson had. It is always going to end up in heartache. It goes for the girls too. Uh, But what is it about the Philistines? What is it about the Canaanites that continually was dragging the Israelites back into relationship with them? That they would forsake God. The mighty works that God would do. The mighty acts that God would do. And the deliverances that he would do amongst them. Only to find them years later falling right back directly into where they were before. Into idolatry. Into intermingling with the people of Canaan. As God commanded them not to do. It's because right? They appealed to their flesh. They appealed to their flesh. You know, the Israelite girls were modest. The Israelite girls were modest in their their apparel and in their activity and how they conducted themselves. And the Philistine girls were va, va, boom, right? I mean, they, the Philistine girls had all of the things and moved in all the ways and dressed in all the ways that attract all of the flesh, right? Uh, and, And that are attractive to the flesh. But there's no offering there for the things of the Spirit. And man, it's a lie, right? This world is just a lie. Uh, now, the Lord says to Moses in the beginning of chapter 6, because remember, if you recall, uh, and we talked a little bit about this last week, that God had sent Moses to the Israelites to tell them, this is what's going to happen. The Lord has sent me to deliver you out of the hands of the Egyptians. And God said, I want you to perform for the Israelites the signs that I gave you when I appeared to you in the burning bush, which were throwing the rod down on the ground and it becoming a serpent and then taking it back up again. Dad's going to get a little more into that this afternoon. Uh, also putting your hand inside of your robe and pulling it out and, and having it be leprous and then putting it back in, taking it out again and having it be clean and also pouring water out on the ground and, and, and seeing it turn to blood. And so, of course, Moses performs these signs to the Israelite people and they believe. They see these signs and they immediately believe. They immediately believe, okay, God has sent you and we're going to follow you. And they're all gung-ho in their belief until adversity arises because God, uh, Moses goes to Pharaoh and Moses tells Pharaoh let my people go this is what the Lord the God of Israel says let my people go and, and Pharaoh says no and not only am I not going to let the people go I'm going to increase their burdens 
The people are idle, obviously. They have enough time to send you to talk to me and enough time to go out in the wilderness and perform some ceremonies. So obviously they're not busy enough. Now they're going to make their bricks without straw. There's going to be no straw provided for them. They're going to have to go and get their own straw if they want straw for their bricks. And so Pharaoh, rather than listening to what God says, as the people were no doubt expecting, right? And Moses was no doubt expecting that he was going to go in there. He was going to say, let my people go. And Pharaoh was going to go, oh, okay. All right, God told him that that was what was going to happen. Not specifically. But God told Moses that he was going to deliver them out of Pharaoh's hand. He told him that. He told him that. This is what you go and you say to Pharaoh. But see, God didn't give Moses the entire plan, did he? Don't you hate when that happens? God didn't give Moses the entire plan. Here's what you need to do. You go in there and you tell the children of Israel, I said thus. And then you go and you tell Pharaoh that I said thus. And he tells the children of Israel, they believe, okay, it's going good so far. And then he goes to Pharaoh and Pharaoh freaks out. Pharaoh freaks out and he begins to become almost unhinged. You know, that portion when the leaders of the children of Israel uh, come in and they're, and they're saying, you know, you're not giving us any straw for bricks and then you're beating us. What's going and, and he, you're idle, you're idle. You know, he, he freaks out. And all that they can see is that what God had promised, what God had said is not happening. And they immediately lose heart. We spoke a little bit last week about the fact that uh, if we are sign seekers, if we are sign seekers, if we always have to see something or ha- experience something or have God do something in, for, in order for us to remain faithful, we're not going to be fruitful Christians because God, God always doesn't provide a sign. And God certainly always doesn't do the things that we ask him to do. And he doesn't always perform the things even that he's promised he's going to do in our timing. So often it's just a grind, isn't it? When we get together on Sunday, how was your week? Have you seen a hamster on a wheel? That's how my week was. I'm a hamster, a chubby little hamster on a wheel. I get up on Monday, I go to work, I come home, hey to the kids, hey to the wife, we hang out, we do this, we do that, we go to bed, we get up, repeat. And life becomes so uh, 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 repetitive and just so normal that we just begin to see everything that way. And there's nothing supernatural going on here, there's nothing miraculous going on here, and we begin to take control of the different aspects of our lives. We lose that focus. But it's within that grind, it's within that just being obedient to God day after day and just walking the path, just walking the path that God has laid out for us, being faithful to that, to just walk the path. That's where we're going to see God work His miracles. And it's not going to be in our timing. And we may not even experience it. But God has a plan. It always comes back to faith. It always comes back to faith. When you talk to people who don't believe in Jesus Christ, who don't believe in God, who don't believe in the Bible, who are agnostic or atheistic in their thinking, uh, maybe you're naturalists, they believe in, in, in the terrible theory of evolution, uh, and you're talking to them, and you start talking to them about Bible prophecy, and you start talking to them about this amazing thing in the Word, and this amazing thing in the Word, and they're just like, yeah, 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 but yeah, but yeah, but yeah, I have a hard time believing that. I have a hard time believing that. And I've used everything. I've used the, you know, my killer whale thing that I love to talk about. The theory of how killer whales evolved from an ancient species of wolf that wandered along the shoreline and liked to forage for fish. And then over millions of years, it wandered out deeper and deeper and deeper. Next thing you know, a fin, right? I mean, it's ridiculous. It's the stupidest thing you've ever heard in your life. 
And then you tell them that, and they're like, yeah, yeah. But the Bible just doesn't make sense to me. I just have a hard time believing that. And here's what it always comes back to, faith. It always comes back to faith. We should never presume as Christians that we are going to be able to convince someone that God is true, that He exists, or that He's true, or that His Word is true. We are never, ever going to be able to convince them of that. Jesus Christ taught us a very important lesson in teaching the people and teaching them in parables after He taught them the parable of the sowers and the, and the, and the disciples asked, why do you teach in parables? And what does He say? So that having eyes they will not see and having ears they will not hear. But to you it has been given, the truths of God, the things of God, the deeper things, the spiritual things have been given to you. And, and, the, re, and, the, and the question is, why? Why? Because the disciples wanted to know. They weren't perfect. They were big dummies half the time, right? But they wanted to know, what does that mean? Tell us, tell us, what does that mean? And they believed Jesus. Remember Abraham, he believed God, and God accounted it to him as righteousness. They believed, they wanted to know. You cannot formulate faith. You can't talk someone into faith. You can't convince someone to have faith. Faith is a gift from God. And, and yes, there is a willingness that has to be uh, evident in the heart of, of a human being. And there is a choice that has to be made. We don't discount choice when we talk about God's election. And God's sovereignty. We don't discount or eliminate man's choice in the thing. And, and the decision that we have to make each person, each one of us individually for Christ. But that faith is a gift of God. Just like salvation is a gift of God, not of works. At least any man from, should boast. And I was talking to a brother this week and, and just talking about, you know, that sowing. That sowing and man, oh man, oh man. It gets hard. Are you, do you ever get sick and tired of just just sowing seed on, on, on pavement. Do you ever get tired of that? Just sowing seed, and it's just, you're like, it's like you're in the Walmart parking lot, right? And there's eight zillion stupid seagulls, right? And they just, there's no way any seeds, it's just the people is, their hearts are so hard, and the ground is so fallow, and you, what's the point? What's the point? And you can, you know, you can, the Bible talks about because of the wickedness of those, of those days, the last days, the heart of many will grow cold. The love of many will grow cold. And I think we live in a day and age when it's very easy for us as Christians to lose our compassion and to lose the ability to look at people and have compassion upon them and love them because those idiots won't listen. They just won't listen. If you would just do as I say, you moron, then Jesus would love you, you know. You could be as happy as I am. You know. They won't listen. They won't listen. And they won't do it. And you see them walk in the same patterns again and again and again. My mom, and I don't know why she drew me this picture. Like she took like a lot of time and drew a picture of a man walking in a circle with his footprints in a circle. And it said, if I always do what I've always done, I'll always get what I've always gotten. I don't know what she was trying to say to me. Right? Of course, she knew exactly what she was trying to say to me because I was doing the same things day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, and then here's me on Saturday morning at the table. Frank, what's wrong? No. What's wrong? Life sucks, you know, and every people are stupid, you know. Well, Frank, if you always do what you've always done, you're always going to get what you've always gotten. Why don't you try living for Jesus? You know. 
I wanted to live for my flesh. I enjoyed every single stinking minute of living for the flesh and chasing after Philistine girls. You know what I mean? And every single time the results are the same. And you see people walking these patterns and you go, what is wrong with you? And you can become disgusted in your heart because you forget from the depths of where Jesus Christ rescued you from. And that it's always a work of grace. And it's always a work of mercy. It's our job to just walk the path. Love God. Love Jesus. Never be ashamed of the gospel. Always be ready, the Bible says. Always be ready to give an answer. But let me put this to you. In order for you to be ready, you have to study. And in order for you to have an answer, there has to be a question. You understand? Go running around giving people answers they ain't asking for. You know, I love to do that. Come here, come here. Oh, we're, we're riding to Ogdensburg together. I'm going to give you all the answers for life that you never knew, you fool. <laughs> you know? I'll teach him. I teach him. I'll preach some of the best messages you've ever heard. Right? Way better than what goes down on Sunday. I mean, I'll be preaching, you know. And, then, whew, and I look over and it's like, oh. Everything is by God's sovereign hand, isn't it? Our job is to believe in him to trust in him, to put our hope in him, and walk the path. Because they were looking for a sign, because they wanted to see something, because they needed to experience something, blown off course, blown off course, knocked off the road. It doesn't sustain us. It's not real emotions. It's just emotions. Faith is something real. It's that evidence of things not seen. It's that, that evidence of things hoped for and the substance of things not seen. I may have reversed that wrong. But I love how in, in referring to faith, it's evidence and substance. It's evidence and substance. Because it, there is evidence for you, isn't there? I mean, I can tell you. When I, go through, when I look at the Bible, for me, the biggest thing is that ge- genealogy from Adam to Noah... That when you translate the names, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's all I need. I don't need to know anything else. Because don't tell me that 4,000 years ago, a bunch of ancient rabbis were like, hey, uh, in a couple thousand years, there's going to be a guy named Jesus. We're not going to believe in him. But let's put his gospel in the Bible, shall we? It's ridiculous. It's miraculous. So I have evidence. And I've experienced God works, his works in my life. And there's substance to it. I mean, there's real substance to it. So for you and I, there's evidence and there's substance. But to those who are perishing, there's no evidence. There's no substance. They don't want to see it. It's a gift from God that we are to be obedient. So when Moses goes to, back to Jesus, or back to God, Jesus, God, right, to complain, Right? See, well, you know, it's not working, you know. God doesn't say, you know, listen, Moses, listen, stop. Just be patient. It's okay. rock by Moses, you know. He doesn't, does he? He doesn't coddle Moses. He doesn't say, it'll be okay. No, 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 Moses, don't run away. No, no, don't be scared. He says, I am the Lord. He reestablishes who he is and what he already said. And he doesn't change it. And he doesn't add to it to make Moses feel better about the situation. He repeats what he said before. Who he is and what he said. Right? So, 
uh, and when we get down to verse uh, 9, okay, after God repeats to Moses who he is and what he had already promised about the children of Israel, verse 9, now Moses is cool, Moses believes, Moses is like, okay, I'm back on track, now let me bring it back to the people. So Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel, but they did not heed Moses. This is something that Moses is going to get used to. <laughs> you know, I don't know if he ever did get used to it, really. You know what I'm saying? Because it's like it happens again and again and again and again and again and again and again. And then, remember, he has that freak-out moment in the wilderness where God tells him to speak to the rock. The first time, you know, when G I mean, here's some more cool stuff, right? Bible stuff that you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Jesus is all through the Old Testament. And he's referred to as the rock. He is the rock that followed them in the desert. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it gives a whole new meaning to the term rock and roll, right? He followed it. Was there a rock rolling behind them at all times? You know, it's figurative, of course. It's spiritual. He was the rock, their fortress that followed them in the wilderness. And the first time that God brought forth water from the rock, he told Moses, strike the rock. To strike the rock. What was it, three times, Lance? Or was it Once? Once? Anyway, he said, strike the rock, and it will bring forth water. Figuratively, what are you talking about? Jesus Christ is the rock. Moses strikes the rock. Moses, a figurehead of the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, he strikes the rock, and it brings forth water. What did Jesus promise? Living water because of his sacrifice. But the next time that God appears, and the children of Israel are thirsty, and he wants to bring forth water from the rock, what does he tell Moses to do? Speak to the rock. Speak to the rock, because how many times did the rock have to be struck, folks? Once. And how many times did Jesus Christ have to die? Once. And now we have but to ask. We have but to ask. But Moses lost his mind. Remember? He is so mad. He fr like, it's like, dude, how old are you? You know what I'm saying? Which is my wife asked me several times a week, you know what I mean? When I'm having one of my Moses <laughs> striking the wall, you know, how old are you? Like, really? Are you a child? I'll learn someday, you know? And he has a freak out moment and he strikes the rock. And God says, you can't go into promised land now, Moses. Can you imagine? What? You know? It was that important. It was that important that he not strike that rock again. It only needed to be, God was making a very specific point, <laughs> a very specific point, and God took it seriously. I didn't tell you to strike the rock. I said, speak to it, Moses. You can't go into the promised land. <sighs> wow. Wow. So, uh, but here we go. Back to verse 9. Moses speaks to the children of Israel. They did not heed Moses because of the anguish of spirit. Uh, and cruel bondage. And not to, not to marginalize or rather to, uh, that's not the right word, but to, 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 to like put um, lightly, to take lightly what they were going through. Like it was awful, right? I mean, their bondage was awful. It was a cruel bondage and they were harsh taskmasters, the Egyptians. You know, it's not like, oh, where's your faith? I mean, you know, we've never experienced anything like this. We've never been through what the children of Israel uh, went through. Um, nevertheless, uh, what is God showing us? That he expects us to still operate and believe in him and have faith in him regardless of the situation and the circumstances. I mean, I understand how they lost heart. I do. I understand. I mean, I understand completely. I mean, what does it take for, to make me lose heart sometimes? I mean, it's, it's, it's ridiculous, isn't it? it? I mean, as Americans, 
what we have, the blessings in our lives. I mean, you know, the car won't start, right? Or, or you know what I mean? The cable goes out. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, I'm rend- you rend your garments because you can't watch the motocross race. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, and it's just like, and then you, all of a sudden you come to and you're like, what is wrong with me? Big, fleshy, stinky guy, you know? That's how we are. And God is always teaching us and he's always, tra- he's never going to back off. You know, like, oh, you know what? You know what? Uh, you know how in the military now you can like hold up a, re- a yellow card or something or a red card if you're like under too much stress and the, the drill instructor has to back off. Have you heard this? I, think, I guess that's a thing now, that's what they tell me. You know, that didn't happen to dad. You know what I mean? You ever hear his story? They're, they're raising the flag and they're doing the taps or whatever and dad's reading the letter from his girlfriend and all of a sudden the strangest thing, a fist is coming through the letter. <laughs> this GI punched him and knocked him over a fence, you know. You know. God is never going to back off. My wife always teases me. She's like, man, God loves. <laughs> he loves. He loves to poke at you, doesn't he? He does. Not because he hates me. Not because he likes to torture me. Because I need it. I need to have a spiritual-minded focus. And all too often, I get distracted and sidetracked by what's going on around me. And the slightest inconvenience can throw me off course. I can't do my devotions today. (laughs) No, 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 no. You need to suck it up, Christian, right? And it's it's not a popular message today, is it? You know, you're not, you know, you're supposed to be very sensitive, right? Oh my goodness, right? And you can't hurt people's feelings. This is a stumbling stone of offense. All who come to Jesus must stumble. What did he say? Anyone who falls on this rock, all who fall on this rock will be broken into pieces. But the alternative is, he on whom this rock falls will be crushed and ground into powder, right? Speaking Speaking of judgment. It never is going to be easy. It's never going to be easy. God wants us to be strong in our faith. And unfortunately, our very nature dictates, and God knows us better than anyone. He created us. Our very nature dictates that it's in times of trouble, it's in times of trials, that eventually we come and draw closer into him. You have your freak out, you have your fleshy time, right? And then what happens? And you surrender. Right? And you're like, oh, Lord. Right? And then he comes in. What does he do? He comes in and he refreshes you. And you tell yourself, why don't you do that the first time? You know? Why do you got to flesh out? And then you go to this. Why don't you go to the Spirit immediately? You're in training. You're in training. Well, how long does that take? Moses was 80. Moses was 80. And he still screwed up and couldn't go in the promised land because he fleshed out. He was 80. Know this. This is why the grace of God is so essential in our lives. Because when Jesus Christ, when that trumpet sounds, right? When that trumpet sounds and graves start busting open and people start rising and we're changed, we're glo- Jesus Christ is not going to appear and like, hey, you know, oh, you were this close. Oh, like three more days you'd have been ready. All right, see you in seven years. Have fun. You know what I mean? No, 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 no. We are complete in Christ Jesus because we're covered in his atoning blood. God sees in us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
And so we are glorified. We are already holy and clean and righteous because of Jesus Christ. His grace, His mercy bestowed on us day after day and new every morning. And His faithfulness never ending. But He wants us to grow. He wants us to grow and He's going to poke and He's going to prod and He's going to allow life He's going to allow this world to close in on us sometimes to put our focus on Him. There's no hope down here. And you can see it because you're an Israelite. There's no hope down here. Lord, help me. Lord, come alongside me. Lord, fill me with Your Holy Spirit. Lord, help me to know You better. And day by day, month by month, year by year, He does just that. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, go in, tell Pharaoh king of Egypt to let the children of Israel go out of this land. And Moses spoke before the Lord saying, the children of Israel have not heeded me. How then shall Pharaoh heed me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a command for the children of Israel and for Pharaoh king of Egypt to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. And you see, you know, Moses is like, it's, it's no, Lord, it's not even because I don't play. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I'm of uncircumcised lips, Lord. I'm, I'm just probably not the right guy to do this. And God just repeats what he said at first. Go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. No coddling, no changing of the mind, no easing up on what he, on what he told him to do. He repeats what he told him to do. Now, Verse 14, okay, we're going to shift gears for just a minute. We're going to go through this genealogy. Um, oh, let's see, let's see. Verse 14, these are the heads of their father's house, houses. Uh, well, verse 13, I'm sorry. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a command for the children of Israel and the Pharaoh king of Egypt to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. And these are the heads of their, to children of Israel's, father's houses. The sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, were Hanach, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. These are the families of Reuben. And the sons of Simeon were Jamuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shual, the sons of a Canaanite woman. These are the families of Simeon. And these are the names of the sons of Levi, according to their generations, Gershon, Kohath, and, Mer and Mer Merari. And the years of the life of Levi were 137. The sons of Gershon were Libni and Shimi, according to their families. Shimi, Shimi, Koko, Bop. And the sons of Kohath were Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uzael. And the years of the life of Kohath were 133. The sons of Merari were Mahli and Mushi, <laughs> or Mushi. <laughs> How's your kid? He's Mushi. He's Mushi. These are the names, or excuse me, these are the families of Levi according to their generations. Now, Amram took for himself Jochebed, his father's sister, that would be his aunt, as wife, and she bore him Aaron and Moses. And the years of the life of Amram were 137. Uh, the sons of Ishar were Korah, Nepheg, and Zikri. And the sons of Uzael were Mishael, Elzaphan, and Zithri. 
Aaron took to himself Elisheba, daughter of Amininab, sister of Nashon, his wife, and she bore Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar. Now, these are some names that are going to become more familiar uh, as, as we go, go into Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Uh, Nadab and Abihu and Eliezer. And the sons of Korah were, remember that name, were Asir, Elkanah, and Abiasaph. These are the families of the Korahites. Eliezer, Aaron's son, took for himself one of the daughters of Putiel as wife, and she bore him Phinehas. These are the heads of the father's houses of the Levites according to their families. These are the same Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring out the children of Israel from the land of Egypt according to their armies. These are the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring out the children of Israel from Egypt. These are the same Moses and Aaron. God is sending Moses and Aaron to intercede on behalf of the people. And unbeknownst to them, this is the beginning of their priestly duties. And so God is establishing here their right to this by laying out the Levitical line of the priesthood, beginning with Levi, and now coming to its fruition in Moses and Aaron. God is very deliberate in what he does and how he does it. When, you get to, when we get to the Gospels in Matthew and then again in Luke, we have a genealogy, right? We have the genealogies that one goes from Abraham and the other goes from Adam right to Jesus Christ. And it was very important because God made specific promises through specific people and specific families to perform specific things. Primarily the priestly duty and then all the way down to the coming of Messiah, Jesus Christ. It was very important. God lays it out. Interestingly enough, in 70 AD, when Titus goes into Jerusalem and sacks it and burns the temple, guess what happened to all the genealogical records? Nobody could come after that and say, I'm the Messiah. I'm the descendant of David. Really? How, how do you know that? Where's your, geneal where's your genealogy? But it was established when Jesus Christ came. It was established. And he could trace his lineage directly back to King David. And from there, of course, to Abraham. And from there, of course, to Adam. And God lays it out, and God is very specific. He's not willy-nilly. I want you to see what I'm doing here. And I want you to understand, and I want you to appreciate the miracle that it is, right? And so God is laying out here, Moses and Aaron are not just two like random dudes. I am establishing the priesthood. It's going to be through the house of Levi. And here's the genealogy. And here's how I'm establishing it. And here's how I'm setting it up. It's very important. And God wants us to know that. No one could ever say, what right do you have? Here's the genealogy. And here's how God has established it. And here's how God has set it up. Now, interestingly enough, uh, Moses' cousin, Korah, Right? When we get to Numbers, when we get to the book of Numbers, of course we have the very famous account of Joshua, remember, and the, and the, and the 12 spies going into the land of Canaan, going into um, Jericho, and spying out the land and coming back. And all of them give, except for uh, Joshua and uh, Caleb, all of them give a bad report. We can't do it, we can't do it, there's giants in the land, we're like grasshoppers in our own sight. And, and Joshua and Caleb are the only ones that say they are bred for us, right? They're bred for us. Let's go take the land. You know why? They were operating in faith. They weren't operating by sight. They were operating in faith. God has promised us this land. It doesn't matter that there's giants in the land. They're bred for us. Now that's an attitude. Now that's a faith that God wants to use. 
Uh, and it's, it's right after that, after God then pronounces his judgment, because the whole nation, remember, they side with the spies who give the false report. The scare, the, you know, we're going to die. We're going to die. We can't do it. And they believe them. And they begin to grumble against Moses. And it's at that point when Korah comes forward and some of the other leaders of his house to challenge Moses and Aaron. And what do they challenge him for? They challenge him for the authority. They challenge him for the leadership. Hey, God only doesn't just speak to you. God speaks to us too, Moses. And God can speak to other people. It's not just about you, Moses. God had already established Moses and Aaron. These are the high priests. Now, Korah and his family, they were of the house of Levi. And they were called upon to serve within the tabernacle. But they were not the priestly line right? God had established it. God's going to do a lot more stuff like this. The sons of Aaron get burned up. Remember that? Because they offer up unauthorized fire before the tabernacle in an unprescribed way of worship. And fire comes out of the tabernacle and consumes them. God is very specific. And God is very clear. This is how it's supposed to be. This is the way I've established it, right? And he's not asking opinions, right? He's not asking for second, second opinions and third opinions, well, what do you think? <laughs> How do you think I ought to do this? God establishes it, and that's the end of it. And that's the point of this, uh, this genealogy here. Uh, and so, verse 28, it came to pass on the day the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, that the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I am the Lord, here it is again, speak to Pharaoh king of Egypt all that I say to you. But Moses said before the Lord, <laughs> behold, I am of uncircumcised lips, and how shall Pharaoh heed me. So we'll stop there. Dad's going to pick it up second service in chapter seven. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your word. Thank you so much, uh, Lord, for the faith that you've given us. Lord, by your own mighty hand uh, and sovereign will, Father, we're so grateful. Uh, we ask, Lord God, that you would increase our faith and our focus, Lord, that we would focus in on you, uh, Lord, and, and uh, despite our circumstances and, and uh, the difficult things in our lives, Lord, the hard things in our lives, Father, we would, we would, uh, we would approach everything, uh, Lord, as your servants, uh, and be, rather than seeking for a way out, Lord, we would always be seeking for an answer from you, Lord, what are you doing in my life? Show me in your time, Lord, what are you doing in my life? Where are you directing me? Lord, give me eyes to see so that when you point me where I need to go, I'll be there, Lord, and I won't be just focused in on myself and on the situation. Lord, help us to have uh, that laser focus, Lord, help us to be... Uh, warriors and soldiers of the cross. Lord, we thank you for the training that you've been putting us through, Lord, even though, boy, our flesh sure isn't thankful, uh, Lord, but we're thankful for you and, and knowing, Lord, that you're working all things for our good, Lord, because you've called us, uh, Lord, and you have a plan for our lives. Lord, I pray that you would be with my brothers and sisters, that you would bless them this day and that you'd be with them as they go their way, Lord, and throughout the work week, that you use them in a mighty way, though they may never see the results of it, Lord, I pray that you'd use them and that you would encourage them, Lord, in their walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.